You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the show. I'm super glad to have you here. This is your first time tuning in. Thanks so much for clicking on this and downloading and all that good stuff, all that normal podcast nerd stuff that podcast hosts say. But seriously, couldn't do without you. So thank you for listening to this right now. Today's episode is with Mr. Tom Cram. Tom Cram, as some of the deeper gear nerd people might know, was a employee and actually the head dude of DOD and Digitech for what I would consider to be some of their prime years. And if you've paid any attention to what that company did in the last few years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He is now the man behind Spiral Effects, and we get into that whole transition and why that happened. Spiral Effects is doing some really, really cool stuff. I have their Black Fuzz. It's really wonderful. Really, really enjoy it. But before we get into the episode, I just want to remind everybody that there are Many easy ways to support the show. You can go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb for any of your gear purchasing needs. So if you're going to buy something off Reverb, if you're going to sell something on Reverb, if you're going to do anything on Reverb, go to ToneMob.com slash Reverb, and a little bit of that will come back and help keep the show afloat and help keep the winds and the sail of this weird pedal-powered pirate ship that we have going on. So yeah, ToneMob.com slash Reverb is the place for that, and Reviews on iTunes is always great, but please, most of all, share this with a friend. If you really enjoy this show, if this gives you any kind of anything at all, sharing with a friend is about the best thing you can do. It really is. The more people that listen, the better it is. The word gets spread out, and we grow like a crazy monster. But honestly, it, it means so much to me that you're listening right now. And if you want more, if you want more nerdery, and you happen to be on that big monster that is Facebook that so many of us are on, you can go to The Tone Mob on Facebook. It's a group. We're a private group. We're just hanging out. We're talking about food. We're talking about gear. We're talking about basically anything that goes on this podcast. It's in that group, and it's there for you. So just search The Tone Mob. But make sure you answer the questions. I've had a lot of people try to join lately that didn't answer the questions. And if you're not going to answer the three simple questions, and it doesn't even have to be that serious. You don't have to have like a in-depth answer to these things. Then it's hard for us to let anyone in because it seems like, well, you're not going to participate in the conversation anyway. So it's one of those deals where you need to answer the questions. It also helps us recognize that you're not a robot because believe it or not, that is an issue that Facebook groups face. So, yes. Anyway, that's enough of the plug and plug and plug and plug and plug. I know we podcast hosts do this all the time, and it's very annoying, but I'm trying to do my best here. Trying to keep this thing afloat. Anyway, without further ado, here's Mr. Tom Cram. Hello, everyone. 
everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Tone Mob Podcast, the show about guitar tone and the people behind it. I'm your host, Blake Wylan, and with me today, I have Tom Cram Hello. from Spiral Effects. What's going on, man? Not much. Just recovering from NAM. NAM was uh, pretty intense. What, it, four days? Yeah. Yeah. Four days of intensity. It's a it's such a weird experience. Like, it's for anybody that hasn't been there, it's like... I think Josh from JHS put up a meme that explained it perfectly, at least for me. And it was the guy getting a drink out of his fountain cup and getting uh, getting one or two different kinds of soda. And one was labeled love and one was labeled hate. And I think yes. that's, that sums it up just perfectly. Yeah, it's it's a... I've, I've been doing it since... Let's see, I think I went to my first NAM in 94... And that, that was not affiliated with anybody, just as a as a guitar player. And then I started working NAM since '96, so I've been to quite a few, and, and it's it's hard every time. It's, it's it is weird. You you look forward to it and you hate it at the same time. It's 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 weird because you look forward to the people, most yes. of the people anyway. But it's just like <laughs> this overwhelming wash of like sensory overload. My dad is a guitar player. But he's not a people person. Like his his idea of a vacation is going up into the mountains, which I can also, uh, I also think that sounds wonderful. But mine too. That's totally what I do. But he at like Disneyland is like, oh, this is a bit much for for him as at least as far as his enjoyment level goes. And he's always like, I, when are you gonna get me into Nam? I'm like, Dad, you will hate it. You will hate it so much. <laughs> it's so much more than Disneyland. <laughs> like it's it's impossible to describe, but. Yeah, there's there, there's a weird thing that happens uh, right around day end of day two, uh, going into day three. Um, you've been assaulted by all the the noise. You've been uh, talking about your stuff, you know, nonstop, and all, your brain disconnects. It's like it's like you're it's like an out of body experience, and uh, you, you you watch your mouth saying these words that you've practiced. And it's it's like beyond your control. And the weird part is is is, is uh, people will try to connect with you and talk with you in a, in a in a real fashion. And once you're on that autopilot, if somebody asks you like a real question, you're just like uh, that that part of my brain is inaccessible at this point. <laughs> right. Talk to me after the show in like a week when I've recovered. Exactly right. Well, let's get into your story because I'm actually very curious. I know I know some of it, but I don't know the nitty gritty details. What I know you from is from obviously doing the spiral stuff and before that being with Digitech. But maybe you can start, you know, when you when you started playing guitar and how did you get into this crazy mess of an industry? Um, let's see. So uh, the probably starts, well, let, let's, it definitely starts when I was 15 and still in high school. Uh, a buddy of mine got an electric guitar for his his birthday and an amp. And he was a huge Beatles fan, and he he asked me over to his house because he knew that you know I could sing, um, and it wasn't like from singing anything professionally; just he had heard me sing, and uh, you know he started playing some Beatles songs, and we kind of sang along. And uh, uh, I didn't even know how to play an instrument at that point; I had I don't even know what that kind of stuff was, and. Uh, I figured, you know, I'd, I'd track down a, a guitar or something like that at some point, and tr you know, try to pick it up. But he suggested I play bass, and I didn't even know what a bass was. Um, you know, and I found out later it's, it's the big guitar. Um, <laughs> the, long, the long guitar. <laughs> the, yeah. the long guitar. 
but so so yeah, so I you know uh, did odd jobs and and you know mowed lawns and you know picked vegetables that kind of thing uh, until I had enough money to to buy my first bass guitar and I bought a Hondo, uh, one of those plywood uh, basses. It was a P bass copy, uh, really terrible, but at least it was something. And uh, we we practiced a bunch of songs, a bunch of rockabilly stuff, played. You know, uh, our high school dance, I think when I was a, a junior, that may have been when I was a senior, I can't remember. And I've been in bands ever since. Ever since. Yeah. Okay. And then when did you get into the, the pedal stuff? Let's see. So I, I, I got a, a, I think it was an MXR pedal uh, really early on. Um, it, was, it was one of those things where I was sold a pedal by a, a sales guy. We, have, we had a couple of really great shops um, around town um, at that time. And I went to a place called Wagstaff Music. And the, one of the guys that worked there said, oh, for, you're, you play bass, you should try this. And it was a phaser. And uh, I tried it. And it sounded kind of cool, but you know, kind of weird. But that was my very, very first pedal. And from then, I kind of just experimented. You know, I got a, a, a TS9 early on um, that I didn't dig. I got a big muff that I thought was cool, but I ended up trading it for something else. Um, I wish I had kept that one because that, that, was, that was a green, you know, a, a Russian green muff. Oh, that would have been wor- so worth some dough now. Yeah. Yeah, especially on bass. I mean, those things sound great. But I didn't know at the time. I was just like, holy cow, this doesn't sound like a bass anymore, which is, you know, kind of the point. But at the time, I didn't know any better. But, uh, you know, I've been collecting, you know, fuzzes uh, since then. Uh, so I've got a massive collection of fuzzes. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of veered off into the multi-effects route for quite a few years, too. And I was in a, in a touring band uh, called Honest Engine uh, for quite a few years. Um, and I used a rack system for that. Uh, just for convenience sake, but uh, I always had fuzzes laying around. When we'd record, I'd play with fuzzes and you know that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, so when it when it shifts is when I went from uh, just just being a musician to being in the industry. Luckily enough, uh, DoD and Digitech are, are local to to Utah. Oh, that's and, right. Uh, I forgot about that. Yeah, so they they started here. So so DoD started here. Uh, the dates are fuzzy. Um, it depends on who you talk to, but. But anywhere, you know, from 73 to 74, DOD started. And then uh, Digitech was a, the, the, the digital offshoot of DOD. Um, that started sometime in the, the early 80s. I want to say 81 or something like that. But, but Johnny Lightfoot, um, who uh, is a, a local bass player, um, he also played with Air Supply for a long time. He and I went down to the, the, the Digitech and DOD factory and applied uh, when God, when we were little, little um, you know, that would be like when we were 19, 20, something. I don't know. Um, and we didn't get hired. But, uh, you know, I, I kept trying. And later I got hired on to work on the line um, at Digitech in 96. And I worked in the line for um, almost two years and then shifted over from uh, the assembly line to uh, working in marketing for DOD. Uh, just in time for the uh, the revamp, um, I had a hand in the revamp from from the uh, the old FX series DoD stuff to the the two what I call the two tone. Uh, that's when we switched to the new foot switch and the and the captive uh, battery door um, and the new two tone graphics and stuff like that. Um, so I was part of the team that that facilitated that that transition. But uh, um, I shifted from DoD 
um, over to working in DBX tech support. And I worked there for seven years teaching people how to use compressors and, and pro audio gear. And then I shifted from a DBX tech support to working in a, a division called SDIG, which was the software division of Harman that uh, helped program the software that, that runs all the big venue software programs and things like that. And I worked there uh, till 2010, I think. Um, and then I shifted from, uh, from there to doing artist relations for, for Digitech and DoD. And then from there, uh, shifted from artist relations to, to product development and then running the company all the way up until 2018. Yeah. So, yeah, you became known as like you'd been around for a long time before, like most pedal nerds knew who you really were. But you were known as like the force behind basically like creating the last era of DOD stuff and Digitech stuff that was like really, truly epic. You know, like the rubberneck is the one I point to. I, I, oh, thanks, man. I mean, the rubberneck's amazing. Can you tell me the story of the rubberneck? I don't. It it doesn't get the love it deserves, in my opinion. It's that that was a labor of love for sure. Um, I I first uh, designed it uh, on a basically on a napkin. I drew it out on how I wanted the layout to be and what what functions I wanted it to to have. Um, and the final design changed very very little from that napkin drawing. Um, I think we we. We uh, shifted a control or something like that. No, nothing really major from that that napkin design, but it took five years from that napkin design to final, you know, final product. And it was a, a lot of a lot of wrestling and um, a lot of iteration. It's uh, not necessarily the technical end of it, although there, there was a lot of that. Um, you know, go, going and doing a uh, a analog bucket brigade delay. Uh, at a company that's not used to doing that kind of stuff, uh, when they every every engineer in the building knows they can do it faster, cheaper, and easier uh, digitally. Of course, um, <laughs> could be quite a battle. <laughs> and and you know it's it's funny when you work with engineers and and they're like this this sounds terrible, um, and and you have to say you know but that's that's kind of part of the charm of uh, that's that's how BBDs sound. So it's it was it was it was difficult but worth it in the end. I think it turned out really cool. It did. It turned out brilliantly. And as somebody who's like working on something in that same kind of area right now, I uh, I can relate because I've got the, why don't you just do it digital like so many times? And it's like, but I want it to sound like that. That's yep. the whole point. This is the, this is what we're striving for. Like you want it to sound broken? Like kind of, yes. That kind, is. kind of, yeah. It's yeah. part of the charm. Uh -huh. And that's, you know, as guitar players, you know, I, I think that, that, guitarists and bassists they they want to have access to all of the colors in the palette you know you want to be able to have clean pristine repeats or clean pristine cleans but you also want to have grunged up you know dirt fuzz and you know and messed up repeats you want to be able to you know paint with all the colors so it's you know it makes sense to me yeah you get it engineers is a different thing <laughs> yeah i've told this story before and i i don't know how true it is uh, but I remember reading on a forum years ago about a guy who was in an engineering class and he brought in a design, either brought in a design like a schematic or actually brought in the pedal of like a, a death by audio product. I don't remember which one it was, but the teacher was like, this is idiotic. Like the transistors are, <laughs> are, are backwards, you know, and things like that. And, and, and he's like, yeah, but it sounds good. And it, like, this is the dumbest, like 
from an electronic standpoint, design ever. But it's like, there's an art to this as well. And what's oh, electronically sure. correct is not always what we're shooting for. That's not the point of it. Well, I mean, when you, when you look into the, the history of amplifier design and, you know, you know guitar players being their usual Neanderthal selves and just, just crank it up until it goes into distortion, you know, that, that horrifies, you know, electrical engineers um, driving a, a tube amp into, you know, into distortion, nonlinear. But, you know, that's, that's rock and roll, man. That's the sound. That's what we want. Yep. So I don't know how much you can talk about it, but I'm going to be in bad trouble with my wonderful nerdy audience if we don't dig into what what on earth is going on with Digitech right now. Because there was rumored that they were going away after you you guys left, uh, but they're still kind of around. Like they had a booth at the 2018 or 20. I can't remember which. Yeah, the NAM right after you guys were gone, they had a booth. And we're like, what are they going out of business? Is Harmon shutting them down? What can you tell us? Um, so th there's some stuff I can't talk about, um, and there's there's some stuff I can. So you know, I'll, I'll try to walk that that line. Um, and, and some stuff is speculation because you know, once once the entire team got dissolved, uh, we basically broke contact with anybody that uh, you know, any friends that we had there because you know they're all under NDA. Of course, so they can't talk to us and that kind of stuff. So anyway, the the, the when Samsung came in and and bought Harman, uh, they bought Harman for their automotive enterprise and consumer uh, divisions, mm -hmm. and and DoD and Digitech. Um, well, let me back up there. So any of the MI brands um, were of little concern to them, and. When it comes to the hierarchy of Harman uh, brands, the MI divisions um, are a small portion of it. And even smaller are Digitech, and even smaller than that is DoD. So we, when it comes to the grand scheme of things uh, and, and what Samsung is looking for, Digitech and, D and DoD are not even on the list. Right. Um, they could care less. Um, so, you know, I don't know the, 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 the rationale behind it or the machinations that happened to, to cause them to decide to shutter uh, Digitech and DoD and uh, some of the other MI brands. And I probably shouldn't say shutter. Well, you know what? They, they, they closed the entire, you know, division out here. So, you know, the, the South Jordan office was shut down. So I'm going to say shutter. Um, you know, they, 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 they got rid of all of the engineers. They got rid of all of the support staff. They got rid of, you know, uh, my team. Um, so, you know, there's, there's not really a, any team uh, there now right. that I know of. Right, right. Um, and so, so to, to answer the question as, as to what they're doing, the, the, the NAM that you're talking about, um, where there was a booth, uh, the way Digitech and DoD works, they have a distributor. And the U.S. distributor um, still carries Digitech and DoD product. And the, the booth was in that distributor's booth. So it wasn't uh, a, a dedicated Digitech and DoD booth at all. It was the distributor's booth showing the products that they're still selling. And I would imagine that without any staff, all they have to do is just keep making the product that they can make as long as there's demand there. And so as long as people keep buying whammies, they'll probably you know, keep making whammies for as long as they can. Um, but without any dev, without any engineers you know, assigned to it, 
um, I think you'll we'll see a lot of other NAMs, just like we saw for this one in 2020, where there's nothing. Right. No new no new product. Just the yeah. same stuff that was in the 2018 product line, basically. Cor- correct. And, and uh, the DoD stuff is even you know in in more dire straits because it, it was such a even smaller part of it that uh, you know I just don't see how they're going to manufacture that stuff at all. Maybe the rubbernecks. I know the rubbernecks still sells, um, but the the other stuff. You know, all all the all the product that I've been seeing that they've been selling is all stuff that was made while I was there. So I don't think that they're making any new DoD stuff at all. But you have to remember that, like I said before, this this is speculation. Since I have no contact there, I'm just I'm seeing the same stuff that you guys see in the market now. I have no inside information. Right, right. That's that's really it's really sad. It's also weird. Like it's just it's it it puts it in perspective how small the MI industry is in the grand scheme of things. You know, we absolutely talk about how overwhelming and huge Nam is, and that's true. That is very true, but it would pale in comparison if there was a similar convention for cell phone manufacturers. Oh yeah, I mean, com- compare CES for example. Compare CES to Nam, and it's there is no comparison. CES is is like Nam times one hundred. Yeah, it's um, huge. Yeah, the, the greater electronics industry is is massive, and what the, you know, one of my uh, old corporate superiors described it as you know, dollar for dollar, the MI. I mean, the the total MI industry that includes Fender, Gibson, you know, Marshall, et cetera, et cetera. The total MI industry is about the same size as the button industry. And wow. so, when you, when you think about it that way, it's like it, it's it's really not that big no um, which is which is cool too i mean it's, that's the thing is it's, it's i'm not saying this stuff as a negative at all it, it you know part of the cool thing about being in the mi industry and you know being part of of you know dod and digitech is that you get to know all these people um you get to know all these different brands and, and the the feel is actually really cool i you know i don't imagine that if you go to a button industry convention if such a thing exists <laughs> that you have the camaraderie, you know, that you have uh, with with the MI industry. But I yeah, think, c- comparable sizes. I think the size of it and the nature of it lends to that camaraderie. You know, it's if it were bigger somehow, I don't know how that's possible, but if it were a bigger industry, I think we wouldn't have, well, we wouldn't have JHS and Earthquaker putting on a, a shindig for all the pedal people to go hang out at. That wouldn't exist. You know? I completely agree. I mean, it's it, and and not to mention the fact that you know the MI industry is is run and staffed by a bunch of crazy musicians, you know, yes. from top to bottom. <laughs> yes, and, it is, and that and that's cool too. I mean, that, that's the that's you know we're we're all used to you know doing the whole rock and roll late night you know thing, and uh, we're we're all a little nuts. I think you have to be a little nuts to do this kind of stuff. I think so. I think I've talked about it before, where you know it's. Very interesting that everyone gets along so well despite being competitors, like direct competitors. And everyone seems to love each other for the most part. And I think it's because it attracts a certain type of person. And it, I agree. Yep. It, it attracts people who are interested in people and attracts people who like all of this stuff. There's not very many people in this industry that that don't enjoy some aspect of it. They might not like all of it, but they like something about it, even if even if they complain most of the time, I know a couple people I'm thinking of in particular, but they, I'm, I'm always like, Oh wait, <laughs> wait, you like that part though. 
oh, I guess I do. Yeah, I guess that part's pretty cool. You know, whatever it is, it's just it's really funny. It's a very funny yeah, it's, it's, thing. It's true. I mean, it, the thing is, is, is you know, if 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 you're into something like this for just the money, well, let's take an engineer for example. An uh, an engineer can make ten times the money that he can make. You know, designing an app, he can make ten times the money designing an app. Right for another company, and so you know, if you're in this for the money, you're going to go somewhere else. So, people who are in the MI industry are not in it for the money; they're in it for something else. They're they're in it for, I think, that camaraderie and that connection to the things that they grew up loving. You know, the, I, yep, I agree completely. The, the opportunities you get presented with are that's what make it really unique. You know, today I'm as we're we're talking right now. In a few hours, I'm headed into Portland to go interview one of my favorite bands of all time, and that's weird. Like that wouldn't, <laughs> that wouldn't get that wouldn't happen if I was, you know, a, I don't know some other sort of podcaster. But they're like, we want to nerd out on gear. You know, usually it takes a, a bigger publication to get access to some of these people. But they're like, oh, you want to nerd out about pedals? Oh yeah, we want to talk to you. I'm like, all right, this will be fun. You know, it's, you know it's, it's, it's a, it's, that's an interesting observation. Cause one of the things I've also found cool is that, um, you know, the, the, the tools that we use to make our art, um, are, it's, it's universal. I mean, it's, it's funny cause you know, music is like the universal language, but the tools that we use to make that music is, are, is also universal. Um, and you know, you can see the excitement in a rock star's eyes when he hears just the right fuzz for the first time. Or, you know, there's a, there's, I've, I've seen Slash, I've seen Slash get all, all giddy over, you know, a pedal. And, you know, when you think about, here's this, this freaking rock star with, with millions of dollars and he's geeking out over a, you know, a hundred dollar pedal. You know, that's, that's universal. I mean, the, the, the kid who's 15 and the rock star who's old and jaded getting nuts about the same, you know, flanger. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. That's, that is where the magic happens. I mean, yeah, I hear the same thing. I hear like John Mayer, this is all rumor of course, but I hear John Mayer just routinely just like calls up his Sweetwater guy and he's like, yeah, I, I want to try all of this stuff. Send me a, <laughs> send me a package, you know? And it's like, he order just orders a bunch of gear. Like gear nerdery is, I don't know if it ever goes away. I feel like it kind of maybe comes in waves, but I don't think it ever is completely absent, even even after all this time. I don't think so either. I mean, because you, you talk to acoustic players, and they've got their, you know, the stuff they nerd out about. Um, you know, even when it was, was you know, all racks all the time back in the, uh, the late 80s and early 90s, um, you know, that's still gear nerdery. Oh, yeah. And, and, and there, there were tons of guitar players out there, you know, like me, that were collecting pedals even while they were using racks and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I don't, once you understand that 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 you know that these these are colors on your palette that allow you to paint what you want, then you know you, you got to have all the paint. Okay, yeah, we need all of the colors. <laughs> we need that full spectrum, especially guys my age who grew up with Photoshop and we had literally all the colors. Now we're trying to have that in an audio sense, and it's a, it's a dangerous addiction because it's not as easy as just paying Adobe a couple dollars or whatever it is a month. That is true. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it, can, it can bankrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
it's almost embarrassing sometimes, but then at the same time, it's like, hey, I justify it by saying it's for work. It's fine. It's for work. It's okay. It's, don't worry. Well, the, the, the way I justify it though is, is I, I've been saying since uh, since I started Spiral that there's a there's a there's a riff in every pedal. Oh, that's and, a good one. Uh, but that that comes directly. There's a, an old saying that there's a song on every guitar, and and so you know, it. I, I really truly believe that. You know, if you if you get that's not just me justifying consumerism. It's uh, it's for real. When you get a new pedal, it, it it can make you play different. It can make you think different. Um, I think that that's you know part of it too. It's it's a give and take. Oh, it definitely it can inspire things. That, like, I am a much different player than I was five years ago, and a lot of that is due to me getting some of like these synth pedals and some of these other things that have been produced recently. Some of the Maris stuff, some of the hologram stuff, and I'm like it made me it, it makes me play differently. It yep. makes me create different things, and that's that's what's so amazing about all of it. But you brought up Spiral, which is good because I wanted to get into that. So, I'm can we tell the story of how that came to be? Yeah. So the uh, <laughs> uh, twenty Summer Nam, twenty eighteen. Um, so this is this is after we had been given our notice. Um, everybody at, at DoD and Digitech, and uh, a Summer Nam was coming around, and and it, the first day of Summer Nam was my last day at DoD Digitech, and uh, and I'm like, you know what? I, I've got to get a job. I I, I got to go and you know shake some trees and figure out what I'm doing next. And and honestly, the, the idea of doing a pedal company was I don't want to say it was the furthest from my mind, but it was not definitely not on my top ten. And uh, and I I went to go to Summer Nam thinking, okay, you know the the best way to to you know get some get some leads is to go where all the people are. And, uh, I, I went to the airport and they had, they had, uh, given away my seat. Oh and, no. Uh, and yeah, so, so I, I ran out to my car, threw all my crap in the, the back of the car and I drove, um, out to summer Nam all the way out to Nashville. Uh, it's a, it's a 24 hour drive and I drove straight through. Um, uh, so I, I arrived a little bit late. Um, but, uh, just in time to go and talk to, you know, some of my contacts, I had some, some meetings set up, you know, with a couple of the, the usual suspects and, it, and I don't want to give a negative impression at all. That's, that's, that's not where I'm heading here. I, I talked to um, a lot of the, the people who I, I would love to work with, but as I talked to them, I realized that what they wanted me to do was what I had already done at DOD and Digitech. And, and for some reason it, it did not, interest me at, at all I mean, it, it's it's weird because i went out there wanting to do what i had done again but after thinking about it and talking with people i realized that i was i, I couldn't i couldn't do it and it, it may, and it may be because you know i was still fresh from like i said the first day of nam was the, my last day on the job uh for dod and digitech so it could be that i was having some you know emotional issues when it comes to that i don't know i I, it didn't feel like it but who knows but i I just remember after the the last day uh getting ready to drive home and thinking that i just i just can't do this again i don't have i don't have the will to work in a corporate environment again i don't i I just don't want to do it and so on the long drive home i was thinking about it and thinking about it and you know i had i had been modding pedals and stuff for for most of my life and I and I started thinking, what if I what if I did my own thing? You know, do, do I have enough ideas for that? 
And I started thinking about it. And I'm like, yeah, I do. Um, do I have, you know, a, a kind of a vision of where I want to go? And I thought about it some more. And I'm like, I, I, I do. And so I called my wife. Um, I was, I was like somewhere in, in Texas and, uh, and I'm like, Hey, I, I, I think, I, I think I want to start my own company. And she's like, Oh crap. <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, she's like, no way, no way. And so, so we talked about it and I, I kind of laid out, you know, my, my five year vague plan to her and she kind of warmed up to the idea and I, you know, I said, you know, think about it. I'll call you back when I, when I get to, you know, Colorado. And, uh, and so, um, I actually got trapped in Colorado. Uh, they had, it was during the wildfire season uh, oh, no. last, last year, but I got trapped in a little small town. Uh, they wouldn't let me out. So I had even, even more time to think about it, but I, I called her from Colorado and I said, hey, you know, I've been thinking about it a lot and I think this is the right decision. What do you think? She's like, absolutely. Let's do it. And, uh, so I started, you know, dictating some ideas into my iPhone um, so I wouldn't forget them. And uh, when I got home, we wrote up a business plan. And, you know, I wrote out, you know, all the stuff I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish, what direction I wanted to head. And uh, we shipped our first product that November. And it's been a, just a little over a year now. What was the first pedal? The Black Spiral. The black, black spiral, spiral. Fuzz. the one I have. That's the one you have, yes. Yes, yes. I've been loving it. It's been a, it's been a fun. It, I've heard it. I've heard them all through headphones at Nam, but it's it's much different when you get it at home with your own stuff, and you can really open it up and let it rip. And that it's a, it's actually tamer than what I remember it being in a in a weird way. For some reason, I had it. I had this this image in my head of it being more bitey and spitty but i'm like i can really control this thing like with my pick yeah, the, attack the, the, and all that stuff oh yeah the, the, so the black is really responsive and, and and you're right part of that is probably because you know I'm, when you use a cab sim you know into headphones um you're, you're not getting the full picture i mean it's not like playing through your amp um but uh, yeah the, the range on the black is is pretty dramatic it, it can go from you know overdrive all the way up to you know to, to spitty weird stuff um, but, uh, yeah, you, you can't quite get the whole picture with, with headphones. No, for sure. never, 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 but I'm spoiled. I get to turn up as loud as I want. Nobody can tell me <laughs> what to do. Neener, neener, neener. <laughs> uh, well, uh, yeah, and that's, uh, I, that reminds me. So the other cool thing about, uh, that, what, that led to this was, oh, okay. uh, I, I got to give props to, to the Nanalog guys, um, because, uh, they, they sent me some samples of the, the N2, um, and, uh, one of the things I realized, uh, again, on that long drive was that I could incorporate their N2 in some of the designs I was thinking of and offer something different and something unique. And so on the, the, the black, uh, the black maybe, spiral fuzz, maybe, yellow spiral maybe back drive. Up just a second. And okay. Cause I don't think everyone knows what the nanolog stuff is. I'm, I'm familiar, but oh, yeah. not the listeners probably across the board. I should probably explain that. So there's there's a company out of Canada uh, called Nanalog, and uh, it's a company that was formed um, after uh, a, a university sponsored a research project into uh, the properties of, of uh, certain compounds and quantum tunneling. And uh, I'm not going to pretend to know the the the, uh, 
the particulars of it. Um, and from what I understand, you know, uh, uh, any any transistor or diode or stuff you ha- has some aspect of quantum tunneling. But this was a, a, a device that was designed specifically for this purpose. And uh, uh, so it's interesting that, you know, some, some quantum technology found its way into the guitar world. But, you know, the guys who are part of it are guitar players. So there's that, that funny connection again. But uh, so what, what ends up happening, um, again, I, I, not the technical version, is, is they, they apply different layers of this, this compound, and at a quantum level, it acts, uh, it, it changes the signal. So it acts like, like a diode. And so, in fact, it is a direct replacement for, for diodes. So any, any place you'd use silicon or germanium or something, you can just pop in a, 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 an analog device. They have the N1, the N2, and the N3 now. And you can get a different flavor. And, uh, you know, the, I had tested the, the N1 and N2 uh, just after they had introduced them. And I thought they sounded fantastic. So I was super excited to use those. And so in, in the, uh, the Brute, the Black Spiral, and the Yellow Spiral, I used the N2. Uh, but I used it at, uh, mixed with uh, germanium and silicon on a toggle switch. And uh, I think it gives my stuff a little a little different flavor. It does. It does. It's an interesting. It's hard to explain what it sounds like in that circuit. It's to me, it's just like more saturated, and just just a bit more, a bit more pleasant. I guess would be the describing sound is the hardest thing ever. You always just come up, with uh, especially when you get into the into the minutia too, because what we're when when. I guess you know for for listeners, what we're describing is is like the not the final ten percent, uh, but like the final one percent difference. So what we you know when you flip the toggle between silicon and and uh, germanium, there's a, there's a volume drop, but there's also a pretty dramatic uh, feel and texture change. But when you flip the toggle between silicon and the N two, there's a change, but it's really subtle. Mm-hmm. And so you start to try, having to describe like these uh, using really esoteric terms. And, and of course, you know, Nanolog, if you go to their website, they've, they've got all kinds of charts and stuff to sh- that show how, you know, the envelope is and the, what the onset looks like and, and, uh, and things like that. So you can get, kind of get a visual idea, but, but nothing beats hearing it. Um, the way I describe it is it, it has, it has the openness and, and headroom feeling of a, of an LED shot key configuration, um, but it, it has the onset of, of germanium. And so you kind of get the feel of germanium without the volume loss. Um, I, I, I think it sounds amazing, but, you know, of course I'm going to say that. It's, it's in my stuff. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. So what are your plans for Spiral going forward? So far you focus m- mainly on dirt stuff. What are you th- what are you thinking going forward if you can peel back the curtain a little bit? Well, it's so the the whole idea with the first year. Uh, so first off, I, I I'd like to pat myself on the back. You know, I, I released five products in one year, and I think that that's pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I probably ran a little bit too fast. I think a couple of pedals kind of got lost in the shuffle, just because I wasn't able to devote you know enough attention you know to getting the word out there about them. The brute in particular, um, I think that's one of my best pedals and. But uh, yeah, so the, the idea was in the first year, um, I wanted to kind of what I've been calling build my foundation, which is, you know, kind of establish, you know, some, some core dirt tones and some, you know, clean tones with the boost and things like that. 
so that people kind of got a feel for where I was heading when it comes to uh, Sonic's, you know, look and feel, and you know, just just know that I'm I'm not screwing around. And uh, and then the the second year, which we're in now, I want to start moving into you know s- some modulations and things like that. But you know, th- th- honestly, I'm I'm not the greatest at uh, at, at electronics. I'm, I'm not an engineer. I'm completely self taught. So a lot of this stuff I have to learn. So I've got some you know a, a steep hill to climb on some of this stuff, and I'm just barely starting to research you know some digital and uh, you know what kind of DSP I want to use you know, to move into some, some digital stuff. And, you know, I, I do want to work on some analog modulation. I have a couple of, you know, half baked designs that I need to refine moving forward. But my goal is in 2020 to at least start, you know, dipping my toes into the, into that thing. So that's, that's kind of the near future. And uh, as far as the far future is concerned, it, you know, I'm, I'm in this for the long haul. Um, I, I, I love, I love, building i love playing I, i'm i'm hoping this turns into a, a you know a real long-term thing but we'll see you know the market will decide um I, I i think if i make the right thing that sounds good um you know helps people create again gives them that you know that riff i was saying there's a riff in every pedal if it gives them that you know that couple of riffs i think i've done my job so hopefully it'll be able to continue Oh, yes. Yes, it's a it's a strange thing to to really think about, you know, going back to the the riff in every pedal and I this is weird. I'm not even that big of a John Mayer guy, but here I am referencing him again in, <laughs> in this conversation. This is strange. I mean, I respect him, but it's not what I turn on on a on a regular basis. But he was he was giving a talk and he was talking about gear and pedals and stuff and he was talking about a reverb pedal. I don't remember which one it was. I don't know if he actually said and he said, like, uh, yeah, I went through tons of reverb pedals trying to just get to the right one. And then he's like, and, and yeah, I spent a bunch of money on it. And, w- and some people say I wasted a bunch of money. And he's like, but then I got this one. And then he played this riff. And since I'm not like that big of a mayor guy, I didn't really recognize it. But the crowd went wild. So apparently it was one of his biggest songs. And he's like, I played and I created this riff because of this pedal. And you know what? It paid for all of those other pedals. And then, so, so you know, he's like, was it really a waste of money? Not really. You know, and I'm like, I like this, John. I like this. You keep saying these things. This is good for me. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 uh, that gets right back to what we were talking about earlier. It, it, it really is, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, you get a good amp and all of a sudden songs come out. You get a good guitar and all of a sudden songs come out and you get a good pedal and, and songs come out. It's, it's, it's a give and take, you know, that, that creative process. So sometimes it just takes, you know, being able to hear something you've been playing in a different way. Um, you know, you, you play a, you know, a, a, a triad and, you know, arpeggiated triad or something like that clean. And that's cool. You arpeggiate that same triad with a, with a fuzz, with an octave, you know, an octave fuzz, for example. Mm-hmm. And it turns into something, something way, way different. <laughs> yes. Yes. Way more powerful. That reminds me of another story I heard on this podcast actually, and, and it's an urban legend. I don't know if it's actually true, but it's kind of amazing if it is, is that, that there was a guy working at a guitar store and for a while, Tom Waits kept going into this guitar store and he'd pick up this one acoustic guitar and he'd kind of play it a little bit and look at it and listen to it. And then he put it back and he'd leave. And he did this like on a regular basis for a while. And 
then he finally went up to him. You know, he wasn't, didn't want to intrude because, you know, I'm sure Tom gets harassed on the streets all the time. But he he finally went up to him. He was like, yeah, hey, Tom, I, I see you've been looking at this guitar a lot. Do you think you think you might want to take it home or do you want to try it out? You know, will you have any questions about it? And he's like, nah, there's just no songs left in this one. And he just put it back and walked away. <laughs> like, whoa, that's so crazy. That's true for him. Somebody else might be able to squeeze some songs out of it, but for him, there he couldn't see himself making any music with it. But it, but he was curious about it. It's just a. It's talks about. I mean, that explains so much about how weird we are, because yeah, we all, we relate to that. I understand what he was doing. I get it. Like it's it's such a. I mean, if that's even true, who knows if that's even true? But it's a cool story. No, it it it, it makes sense to me. I mean, there's there's. Oh, well, the, the way I'd put it is, you know, I, I have people drop by the shop every now and then. Um, it, it's my shop is kind of a dump, so it's not something I encourage. Um, but uh, I have people drop by the shop. And so it's interesting to hear other people who play very, very differently from me play through my stuff. Um, and I'm not just talking about my pedals. I'm talking about my guitars because, you know, I, I have my my wall of guitars there, too. And so I'll, I'll have, for example, my Yamaha SG SBG 1500. Um, that's a, that is by no means a great guitar. It is trashed. Um, I've, I've fixed it up enough to where it, you know, it plays okay and, and sounds okay and everything. But the, when I play it, it sounds so different from when somebody else plays it. But anyway, I had a guy come in and he wanted to try the boost. And so I, I hooked up the white uh, to a Vox and, and that guitar and I played a little bit. And, you know, it sounded fat and punchy and, you know, all the things I, I want it to be. And he, I give him the guitar and say, hey, give it a try. And he starts playing and his, his touch was so light. And, you know, his, uh, the, the way he phrased was like 180 degrees different from how I phrased. And it sounded completely different. Um, and fortunately, you know, on, on the white, I have, a, you know, some controls that you can, you know, dial it in to, you know, have a little bit more low end and, uh, you know, hit the, cl the clipping dials a little bit harder and stuff, but I was able to tailor it. So it sounded fat and punchy and cool with his playing, but the exact same settings, exact same guitar, exact same amp, different player. And it sounds completely different. And, yeah. you know, it, it, and, and, you know, all those different factors, mean that of course all different kinds of gear speaks to different people in different ways it's a it's a cool thing it's even amazing how the same piece of gear with a different player sounds can sound different but like equally awesome that's that's what i find so strange so like i'm in love with the benson amp stuff people know that i talk about it incessantly i'm the biggest benson shill ever but like i i have a benson vincent and I was at his shop a, a few months ago, actually, probably more like eight, nine months ago. And this guitar player named Celise Henderson was in there. And she's incredible. But I, I was, follow her on Instagram. She is incredible. She's awesome. She was there checking out his stuff. And I was like, Chris was kind of busy. So I was being the salesman for him. And like, here's, oh, yeah, the, the Vincent. Here's how it works. Here's what's going on. And I kind of plugged it in and set it up with the same settings that I would use. And she started playing, and it was like this is unreal. And she got she got done. I'm like, yeah, it doesn't sound like that when I play it. It sounds <laughs> yeah. sounds substantially different. Like I think it sounds good to me, but like hearing what she could do with it was unreal. Like she's she's she did end up getting one. Uh, so I guess I I did an okay job. 
I haven't tried a Benson. Well, let me tell you, they're pretty awesome. The uh, the Vincent, I I mean, I am so biased. I can't help but be biased because the Vinny and the Vincent, the Vinny's is a little one water, and then the Vincent's uh, a a collabor not a collaboration per se, but something we sort of dreamed up together. Um, the Vincent is that the Vinny is a one watt tube amp that sounds enormous. It sounds like a big amp, except it's just not that loud. The but it has a instrument level output on it. And I found that my favorite thing to do with it was to drive a bigger amp because you could get full power amp and uh, excuse me, full power transformer distortion at whatever volume level you wanted. You just adjusted the bigger amp. Right. And so we Chris and I got to talking and he was like, what if we put this all together in one unit? And so the Vincent is the Vinny and a slightly modified version of his 30 watt Chimera in the same unit. So when you engage the quote unquote dirt channel, what you're actually doing is putting an entire another amplifier into your signal. So it's it's insane. I'm I'm a pretty big fan. But it also that has sounds cool. I gotta try that. Yeah, you have to come by. Come by the shred shed one of these days. You can nerd out for hours. I'd love to. I'm I'm a huge Vox fan. I mean I I love the AC thirty to to death. But, uh, you know, I've got my collection of other amps. I, I, I'm always looking for, for new sounds. This is one of them. This is, <laughs> this is the, but it also, I fold here, Here's how we enable each other. Yes. This is, we're enabling ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> it has my kid's name on it, though. So that's, I'm obviously pretty. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I, 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 when I see a bigger artist, uh, there's a few out there using them. I'm like, that's, they don't know that. They don't know who I am. But it's cool that my kid's name is, that's, is up there. That's super cool, man. But um, wow, yeah, this is why this industry is cool. That's why we do these things. That's, Absolutely, that's what it's all about. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I, I can imagine seeing your uh, seeing your amp there up on stage again. You know, we're gonna that's my friend's John. You know, John Mayer. You know, somebody like that playing your amp has got to make you feel good, man. That's really cool. Yeah, it's it's. It's weird. I don't, yeah, it's hard. I'll, I'll stop talking about it now. I've talked to <laughs> the listeners of this podcast are tired of me talking about Benson amps, I think. So I should stop. I've, I've been trying to be not so much of a shill, but uh, I failed this time. So now if you love it, you love it, man. So what does your rig look like most of the time? If you, are you playing out much these days or do you, when you're playing by yourself, what, what kind of gear are you using? Obviously you said the AC thirties. Yeah, I, uh, I've been using AC30s for years, um, and, and I, actually my favorite rig is um, an AC30 on top of a, a, a Vox uh, 2x12 extension cab. Um, I, I use that for for a long time. Um, but just recently, well, I say recently, it's been like 10 years, um, I, I got into orange stuff again, Ooh. and uh, I got a, a, a TV50H. Um, that I run into a, to a two by twelve Vox or a four by twelve Vox with greenbacks, and I love that thing. Um, so it's 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 weird. I kind of I feel like I'm cheating on the Vox when I play the Orange, but uh, they're both British, right? They're, they're, yeah, it's fine. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm da- dating sisters or something like that. It's they just don't need to find out about each other. Yeah, it's it's okay. They're sister wives, so they're fine with it. <laughs> it's a, that's a Utah thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even put that together, but I'm yeah. gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. Yeah, it's a Utah thing. It's totally fine. 
but yes yeah, so, so when, when i when i voice stuff you know my pedals you know i, I end up playing through a ton of different amps you know all, all the way from you know a little one water all the way up to you know you know jcm 800s and things but my go-to's if i can the way i figured is if i the vox ac30 makes everything sound good um the the orange is actually a little bit more finicky if i can make it sound good on the orange it's going to sound good on most everything um but uh, I, I those are my two go-to's um i don't i don't have a whole lot of other pedals to tell you the truth it, um well it's funny because you know I, I have like five pedals there's a lot of guitar players in town who think i have this massive pedal board and you, that's how you can tell if somebody's not on on like the gear page or you know uh, uh the uh, tdpri or something like that if, if they see five pedal boards and think you have a big pedal board you're like no dude you don't even know <laughs> there's, yeah. there's guys out there with 30 freaking pedals on their board yeah five pedals <laughs> that's cute right it's cute yeah exactly it's that's manageable yeah. but yeah so I, I normally have a a, a morally maverick wah um uh, i i use my trusty hardwire tuner um i have a black spiral um i've got a uh an hbe psilocybe phaser uh rubberneck and um Sometimes I'll throw on a, a you know a couple different delays. Oh, in fact, I just I just got turned on to the the Demodash T one twenty, and that's been kind of going on, on and off my board. Um, but uh, yeah, I usually have a couple of delays, uh, but that's that's pretty much it. Then into my into my orange and or into my Vox, and that's my thing. What about the guitars? Um, my favorite is right now our SGs, um, and that's been my favorite for a while. Um, I, I was a, uh, I played a Gretsch almost exclusively for uh, over a decade. Um, I have a Silver Jet that I just love to death, um, but it's, it's it, I took that on the road, so it's kind of getting beat up. I should probably track down another one, but but yeah, SGs or, or Gretsches are are uh, I love them. I've got other guitars, but those are my main ones. Gotcha, gotcha. Got, in fact, I got I got a, um, you know, every, everybody talks crap about limited edition things or, or artist, you know, uh, signature guitars and stuff like that. But you know, the, some of those can be cool. Uh, Guitar Center um, had uh, I'm not sure what I think it was 2014, 2013 and 2014. Um, they had uh, no, maybe it was earlier than that. Anyway, they they had. Uh, a special run of SGs made uh, just for guitar centers that had coil taps. And uh, uh, I, I bought a white one there that I, I just absolutely fell in love with. I just love it to death. It sounds great. You know, having those extra tones available is super cool. Um, and then I later found uh, a silver burst one from the exact same year, um, exact same run. And I, I got that one too. So I've got two SGs with the, with the coil taps that, that just slay. And so those are those are my main babies. There's something about a white SG to me. Like a, that's my favorite color on an SG is is a white SG. And then I, I I like to take it even further. I think my favorite SG of all time is the triple pickup with their uh, vibrato on it. I, oh the, yeah. Oh, that the liar sure. liar. I forgot how they say that word. I think that's what they. Yeah call. yeah. I I know which one you're talking about. Not not the sideways one. Uh, the their normal one or the yeah. talking about the sideways one because they have that really really weird sideways one that you, you you push up and down instead of 
instead of like a normal vibrato. No, no, it's a normal. It's like the Sister Rosetta Tharp guitar. Yeah, the, that's yeah. the one. I'm. That's like that's what I picture. I'm like that is the ultimate SG for me. I know most people think Angus Young, but I like I like flashy guitars sometimes. I don't know why. Yeah, so, so I, you know, it, for me, it's Pete, Pete Townsend. Um, he, you know, granted, he played a, a white junior, um, SG junior, but, uh, you know, when I saw him or saw photos of him when I was a kid playing that white SG, I'm just like, that, that is a rock and roll guitar. Um, it is. So that's, that's what I think of. It's, you know, it's kind of a mod thing, too. I mean, uh, a white SG is like about the most mod thing I can think of. <laughs> Besides, you know, a, a tall haircut and, and uh, a parka. Yeah, you're probably right about that. Which I've never really like considered myself much into that in that vein. But I don't know. I definitely have some guitars that are very, uh, very mod. So <laughs> I, maybe I am. Maybe I'm secretly one. A, cl- a closet mod. A closet mod. I didn't know. I thought I was a punk, but it turns out <laughs> I like fl- too many flashy guitars to be a punk. I don't know. Yeah, next next week we both need to get a, a Vespa scooter. I kind of I kind of want one. I'm not gonna lie. I just don't yeah, need all those see, mirrors. See, you're you're a closet mod, man. I, I don't need all those those mirrors though. That's just that's just dumb. That's just silly. Well, so, so the, the, all the mirrors are for when you have your your piled up haircut and you have to be able to look at yourself as you're driving. So ah, oh, see, yeah. Well, <laughs> I tend I tend to have my hair cut off. So well. <laughs> me, me too. Just much more comfortable that way. That's that's where we fail as mods. Our our, our closet mod dream will never be realized because we have crappy haircuts. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> that is actually the truth behind behind my buzz cut. Is I spent most of my life not knowing how to style my hair, and I was finally like, you know what? This isn't worth it. Cut it all off. Just cut it off. I'm just going to accept this. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I don't know what to do with this. I got cow licks. I I can't make a hairstyle that looks good. I'm just gonna go go for the GI Jane look. And call yeah, it a utilitarian. Day. Yep. All right. Well, we're getting into the the last few minutes of the podcast here. Uh, I'd like to ask you to plug anything you want to plug. Say anything you want to say. This is your chance to put a billboard up for everybody. Oh wow! Say anything I want to say. Even politics, if you want. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm not, not going to. I'm not going to comment on it. I will not comment on it. But you can say whatever you want. Not a chance. I'm totally joking. Um, <laughs> Let's see. Um, definitely come check out my website um, and see what I have to offer. You know, it, it's uh, it really, truly is a labor of love. I, I hand make everything. Um, I feel like I'm doing some some not just unique uh, looks, but also some unique tones. Um, let's see what else would I like to talk about. Um, I, I I guess what I would like to to really touch on is that people tend to get jaded. Um, in this industry, and you know, we, we we talked about some of the cool things that this industry has to offer, and uh, I I think that I would try to steer people away from worrying about anything that has to do with industry and 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 the marketing part of it, and, and concentrate more on the the creative aspects of it because that's really what you know drives us. And I think we we mentioned that a little bit earlier. The the driving force for a lot of us is the creative aspect, and you know, once you start trying to fight that urge to, to be cynical. Um, it kind of opens you up more toward some of the more positive things that happen in our industry. And there's a lot of them, man. I mean, our industry is freaking cool. It really and is. What, what, what we do is cool. It's the best. It's my favorite. 
I mean, I fought tooth and nail to try to get into it. So I, for whatever that tells people, I just, I didn't know how I just was like, I want to be a part of this. Let me in, yep. let me in. And, and, the, and the reason I mentioned that is because, you know, with my history, people kind of get hung up on some of the more negative aspects of what happened. But I got to say, man, it was, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Honestly, Samsung buying Harman and then Harman scuttling Digitech and DOD, as awful as that was, uh, for me, it, it turned out great. I mean, it's, it's, it's a sad thing for, you know, the house of whammy. Um, but for, for me and, and spiral, you know, it, it set, set me on my current path. So, you know, I, I, I want concentrate on the positive, man. Of course. Of course. I think that's an important message for everyone, regardless of what we're talking about, concentrate on the positive because there's a lot of it and it's easier to, it's easier to focus on the negative, but in reality, there's a lot more positivity out there. So focus on that. Uh, I think so. How's that for a nice positive ending right there? I like that. I like that. Uplifting. But we could go negative here depending on how these next questions go. So let's see how oh, that goes. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> We've got a couple more. So now that you're not with uh, DOD or Digitech anymore, you can actually answer this question. What is your favorite boss pedal? Oh, man. Oh, uh, dude. Well, I mean, fuzz. I'm a fuzz nerd. So it's going to be the FZ2 and the FZ3. There you go. Those are my absolute favorite well no okay so fc2 fc3 and the ce1 Ooh. oh well hold on hold on <laughs> fc2 fc3 ce1 and remember the old uh bg uh, you know this is a really obscure fuzz but but back in the day when they were just barely shifting from roland to boss um or just starting boss i'm not sure how that whole thing worked they had the biba and they had the bg and the bg fuzz kicks butt that is an awesome fuzz I don't know anything about that. I will have to do some Googling later. I, Dude, I've it's, never it's, heard of the BG. It's the balls. That is a great fuzz. Oh, man. I got to check that out. This question is, I anticipated most people to really have to think on that question a little bit because there's so many boss pedals, but most people are just like, I got it, and they just know. <laughs> so it's kind of a fun one. So this is the last question. This is the classic question. This is the one where... You know, people tend to get in a little bit of trouble. So we'll see how it goes. Uh oh. What's your favorite kind of pizza? Oh, dude. So um, I am totally in the camp that pineapple on pizza is the spawn of the devil and should be shunned at all costs. So I'll get okay. that out of the way right out of, out of the bat. Good man. But but when it comes to pizza, I'm a traditionalist, man. Pepperoni, plain old pepperoni pizza. It, when when done right, it's that's where it's at. It's hard to beat. You won't find very many people arguing with a, a slice of pepperoni pizza. It's not a. Yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, it's it's even when it's done poorly, it's still pretty good. How do you like when it's your done crust? right? It's heavenly. Um, you know, I, I like cracker crust, um, but I also like thick crust too. So it's I, I'm kind of agnostic when it comes to that. I mean, I know that the 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 New York style traditionalists you know, have, have their thing, but, uh, you know, there's, there's some cracker crusts that, uh, you know, thin crust stuff that's really freaking good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I've, I didn't really understand the whole New York pizza thing until I went there. Then I was like, Oh, Oh yeah. I got it now. <laughs> I understand. I, Cause honestly, I just looked at it. I'm like, yeah, it looks like pizza. Like it, like, how good can it be? I'm like, oh, it can be that good. It can yeah. be really good. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to throw this right back at you. What are your thoughts? I'm going to get you in trouble. What are your thoughts on, on Chicago style? 
So honestly, I I think well, there's an asterisk on this because I have never been to Chicago and experienced true Chicago pizza. I have had Chicago style pizza a handful of times. And based on that experience, I say that it's it's not really pizza. It's a pizza. There you go. It's a pizza partner. It's a pizza cousin. Kind of like a pizza roll isn't isn't pizza. Or like a, a calzone isn't pizza. Yeah, there you go. But yep, it I'm is right there with you. It's pizza-esque. It's a different thing. It's its own thing, and you need to appreciate it for what it is. But don't think that it's gonna scratch the same itch as a classic slice of pepperoni pizza. That's my opinion on it. As yep, of now, I completely agree with you. I, I concur. It's, it's I, I ate deep dish, a uh, Chicago style, and I'm like, this is lasagna, but it's right. really good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, it's lasagna. <laughs> There's another style of Chicago pizza that that looks much more a like pizza and b up my alley, and that's the tavern style. Have you seen the tavern style? No. It looks, uh-uh. it look, what is what is that? It's more like traditional. It's it's a little bit now. This is just visual because I haven't actually had it, but it looks like it's a little bit thicker, slightly, only slightly thicker than like a New York style slice. It looks very much like your local neighborhood pizza joint. But something about it looks better. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's more well done, if they like cook it hotter. But the, the, the examples that I've been shown of tavern-style Chicago pizza look pretty delicious. So I'm going to have to slide over there. Uh, Rick Nielsen from Cheap Trick, has a he's like a partner in a very tasty-looking pizzeria in Chicago called Peace. And it looks incredible. I really want to try it someday when I can get there. Got to get there huh, first. I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out too. I'm, I'm not in Chicago often, but uh, you know when I am there, I, I you know, try to hit some pizza joints and stuff like that. Oh, okay. So, so what what are your thoughts on more exotic pizzas, like the you know the the the, the gourmet pizzas with with artichoke hearts and you know special sauces and all that kind of stuff? I'm I'm into it. You know, I'm in I'm in Portland, so I I feel like it's necessary for me to be into it, but. <laughs> It's not it's so, not like my go-to, but like when I'm at a place like that and they've got something kind of wild, I'm like, yeah, let's let's go. I'm I really like artichoke hearts just kind of in general. Uh but I I won't go too crazy. Like I don't really I'm not too interested in like dessert pizzas. That doesn't really do anything for me. But like I'll I'll get down on a, something with like a white sauce and some pesto or something like that. It, I I can in, I can get into it, but it's not what I crave when I'm like I really want pizza. I crave like more classic stuff, but I really like so, Italian, like wood fired pizza. I'm a big fan of that style. We have a really good one locally. Yeah. So I, there's some stipulations there. Yeah. So there's, there's a, uh, um, a pizza joint in town that does some of that gourmet stuff. Um, and there's one they have that, that this is going to sound gross, but it's so good. They have a, uh, uh, chicken bacon ranch pizza. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. It, uh, like I said, it sounds gross. Uh, the the ranch is what throws me. It throws it me too. So freaking good. I'm not a ranch so fan. Freaking so, good. But you, you say it works with the other flavors. So you're getting. Well, at. So, so it, it does. It doesn't end up tasting like ranch. It, it tastes like a you know um, like a, a white sauce with a little more tang to it. So but once you cook it, it, it's it doesn't taste like ranch anymore. Thank God. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> good. We're on. We're, we seem to have similar kind of vibes on this whole thing so i like that i think so we should get pizza together oh let's do it we should do it at nam 
Well, there's not very many good pizza places that I've found. No, it's, it's, it's like trying to find, yeah. It's like trying to find a good Mexican place in, in you know, Louisiana or something. It's not going to happen. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but you're up in Portland, right? Yes. Yes, yes. Because oh, there's going to be a, a deli mag uh, uh, thing up there in March, I think. And I'm, 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 I'm tentatively planning on going, so um, we should hook up. Oh, I just found out about that like a week ago. I'm definitely going. So I, Sweet. if you're going to be there, yeah. And this is kind of a, a secret, but Portland's got some legit pizza places. So really? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We can talk about that more here in a little bit. But let's uh, put a bow on this. What do you say? Sounds good. All right. For Tom, this is Blake. And as always, folks, good luck and good tones. All right, we did it. There's another episode in the can, and I say this after every single episode, and I don't know what else to say, so I guess that's just what I'm going to keep saying, so I'm saying it now. Wow, I can repeat myself a lot. That is really impressive. No, it's not. You're an idiot. Anyway, if you want more of these conversations, there is more for you over on Patreon. So patreon.com slash tonemob. There is more of this conversation with Mr. Tom Cram. We talked even more about his favorite bands, what he's into these days, what it's like experiencing music as you get a little bit older in age, and I can start to relate to that, which is a little bit weird. Anyway, that's what we talk about in the Patreon episode. So there's more episodes every week, extra audio content. Sometimes it's extra episodes with the guests. Sometimes it's me and my good friend Justin Porter talking about whatever kind of gear news is going on or whatever's happening in our lives. Sometimes it's me doing some more audio demos. It's extra audio content for you, and it starts at just five bucks a month. It really, truly helps immensely. I can't even tell you. And plus, the Patreon people get to be privy to all the secret stuff. So that's always a good thing. All right, thanks so much for tuning in to this episode this week, and I will talk to you next week. I hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye. One last thing before we totally sign off here, I just want to remind you that if you do any shopping at Stringjoy, that's Stringjoy Guitar Strings made in Nashville, that will help me out as well. As I've said for years, I'm heavily involved in that company, and I really do think they're making the best products on the market. So if you would like to try custom strings, go to ToneMob.com Stringjoy and check them out today. I seriously, seriously, seriously love what the team down there is doing. I help them out with all kinds of things, and by you supporting them, you are also supporting me as well. And hey, you need some strings, so why not get some custom strings just for your guitar and playing style? Again, the link for that is tonemob.com stringjoy, and that will take you right to their website and you can do all your shopping through there, and that will help everyone involved out. So thank you very much. Talk to you next time. We are brought to you by the wonderful folks at Gun Street Wiring Shop. Yes, Gun Street Wiring Shop. I've talked about them before. I used to say based out of Bend, Oregon, but guess what? Sean moved to my neck of the woods. Sean's in Portland. Sean is awesome and has helped me with a bunch of stuff lately. And if you have wiring needs for your guitar, he can help you too. If you want to get weird with it, he can get weird. If you just need to spruce things up a little bit, there's your guy. He takes all the guesswork out of doing your guitar wiring, and he makes it simple 
and his customer service is top-notch, and I can't say enough good things about Gunstory as a company. I really respect Sean and what he's all about, and the product is top-notch. I've got three different guitars that now have Gun Street harnesses in them, and I could not be happier. So go to GunStreetWiringShop.com and check them out.